All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, it is Thursday, June 3rd, and we are digging deeper into the Psalms this week. We are looking at Psalms 19, 20, and 21, particularly focusing our entire thing around Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's a great and wonderful prayer many people use before beginning a sermon or before beginning Bible study. And it comes from this psalm, as we'll dig deeper into, as we figure out what are the acceptable words and meditations for the Lord. And we'll see that 19, 20, and 21 are perfect examples of those psalms. So we look at Psalm 19. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heaven, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So far, Psalm 19. All right, so we have here one of the great psalms, especially looking for acceptable words and meditations, because it starts off with, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. All of creation worships and praises God, just in the simple fact of its being, the existence of everything, the heavens, the sky, day and night, all of these things proclaim God's handiwork into our lives. Not that we would not have them otherwise, but again, I've mentioned in my meditations when we get through the first couple of days of creation, that we really need the sky in order to be able to breathe. I mean, we could have all the other great treasures that are here on earth, but if we can't breathe, that's a problem. So then that breath, the Hebrew word also being the same word for spirit, brings us into verses 7 through 9 as it goes through the various different types of of things that we look at when we think of the Torah and the law of God. Starting off with the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. 
all parts of the Torah, the instruction that God has given to us, not only in the books of Moses, but throughout the Bible, even in the Psalms, as we see here also that we can find great depth of insight into different facets of doctrine, even in the Psalms, which many people want to throw aside as their poems, its poetry, its figurative language, we can't use it to declare doctrine. On the other hand, sometimes it is the poetic way that gets the idea across the best. Then we have the great problem of confession. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Okay, I can confess all of my sins that I'm aware of, but does that make me blameless? No. I'm still possibly guilty of things that I do not know. Therefore, in the rite of confession and absolution in our hymnal, we have that the things that I have done, the things that I have left undone. There are things that we have done that are sins, that we should not have done. There are things that we should have done that we didn't do, that we sin by omitting them. And sometimes we don't even know either of the things are going on. So we can't say for certain that I have a true and perfect confession of all my sins because I don't know all my sins. There are still unknown, there are still hidden faults within each of us. And so we have the prayer given for the right meditation in words because the Lord is our rock and our redeemer. He is the one in whom we can have confidence because we can't have confidence in ourselves. We can't see ourselves through even a listing of all of our sins and our faults because we don't know them all. There are things deep inside that drug us, drag us down and we don't even recognize it yet. It might even be years and years later before we finally realize, oh, wait, this has been a problem my whole life. Are we not forgiven of them early on in life? Or do we take this verse, declare me innocent from hidden faults? Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Don't let me just high-handedly, as some of the old translations put it, that we go out and test God to see if he'll strike us down for doing something sinful. That's not worth it. All that does is to help stir up doubts among people and possibly even doubt your sanity in the process. So we need the right words and the right meditations of our heart in order to be able to move on with our life. So we continue on with those words and meditations into Psalm 20. To the choir master, a Psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand up. 
O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. So far, Psalm 20. Psalm 20 gives us the idea of blessing, but it can be used and overused. And that overuse gives us the idea of living our best life now. The prosperity gospel where we have everything that we want. Because we have verses like Psalm or like verse 4. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. Who's the object there? You. May he grant your heart's desire. May he fulfill all your plans. Sometimes our heart's desires and our plans are not very God-fearing and not very in line with his teachings. But we pray for his will to be done in the Lord's Prayer, not for ours. Even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Now we move into verses eight, 6 through 8, where we talk about saving the Lord's anointed. And this being part of David and his theology and even his even his civic duty as he's going through and being chased by Saul in 1 Samuel 24 and 26. He refers to Saul both times as the Lord's anointed. When his soldiers want to just wipe out Saul who is right there sleeping or in the cave, just at the mouth of the cave that they are hiding in, relieving himself, we can just strike him down right here. He says, no, he is the Lord's anointed. Yes, I will be king after him, but I will not bring about my kingdom through raising my hand against him because the Lord has anointed him even though he has left him and anointed me. David still had that civic responsibility to his father-in-law, Saul. And in that, he finds great praise. Because he wants that same salvation, that same civic duty shown to him if his subjects rise up against him as they would with Shimei, as they would with Absalom, and with other times that he himself is in danger even as king of Judah and Israel. He wants that same protection from God. So he will not raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. Because he doesn't trust in chariots or in horses because he has none as he's running from Saul. He simply has his soldiers. And he doesn't trust in them because his trust is in the Lord. And so he ends the psalm, O Lord, save the king. Not just Saul, not just himself, but also the king, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Not that Jesus needs saving, because Jesus himself tells the disciples that if he wanted, he could call down 12 legions of angels to rescue him from Judas and all the soldiers. But that was not the point. The point actually was that he needed to be handed over to the Jewish authorities. The time had come, and it was their time now. His time to be glorified was going to happen. And that happened in his passion, in his death, in his resurrection. So far, Psalm 20. As we move into Psalm 21, again, it is 
just simply to the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exults. You have given him his heart's desire, and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you, and you gave it to him, length of days, forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. The king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth, and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. So far, Psalm 21. All right, so again, we have 21 picking up right where 20 left off. Look back just a moment ago. Some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord. What does this say? O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. Why? Because God has given him his heart's desire. He has given him a working kingdom, one of the greatest that there was at the time, only to be surpassed by his son Solomon. God has not withheld the request of his lips. Everything that David has wanted, he has gotten. Not because David is so great, but because David is the forerunner to the Messiah, the one who was to come, to be that descendant to sit on the throne forever. And we have that salvation, that strength, that glory, that honor that David puts his trust in. Not because of himself, but because of the Lord who has made those promises to him. It is very similar to what Solomon sees after his prayer for wisdom in 1 Kings 3. We pick up in 1 Kings 3, verse 10 through 14. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has ever been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I will give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So God's promise. You ask for wisdom. Great, I will give you a wise and discerning mind. But I will also give you what you did not ask for, the riches and the honor and the length of days. But that length of days only comes if you keep the commandments, if you keep walking in the way of the Lord. Then you have that great salvation. Then you have that great blessing of long life. But otherwise, if you do not have that, you end up with verses 8 through 10 of Psalm 21. 
Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. This is what happens to those who hate God. God will find them. Not that he's looking for them because he knows exactly where they are. But they will be found out and he will be like a blazing oven. Very similar to Daniel 3 and the fiery furnace of Nebuchadnezzar as he throws Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath. God has done that before. Korah and his rebellion against Moses and Aaron, wanting to make everyone a priest. Nope. God opens up the earth and swallows everything they have and destroys all their descendants. But he also does this for the northern kingdom. You see this over and over again as you read through 2 Kings, especially, that the northern kingdom never has a sustained dynasty like the southern kingdom. Judah still has the Davidic line all the way up until the time of the Babylonian captivity. The northern kingdom has numerous dynasties, sometimes not even lasting a second generation. But God had promised to Jeroboam the first that no dynasty in the northern kingdom of Israel would last past the fourth generation. And it's the Omri dynasty with the great wonderful king Ahab in it. That's the one that survives to a fourth generation when Ahab's son becomes king. But Ahab's son is not king very long before he is taken over and the country goes into a different dynasty again. And everybody is destroyed from their offspring because God does not want to have those there to be, again, stumbling blocks for his people. So, in all of this, we end Psalm 21 and our time together this week digging deeper with verse 13. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. There is the source of the acceptable words and meditations. God's power. His power to save. His power to condemn. His power to make everlasting. His power to destroy completely. It is all his power and his power alone. He shares it with no one, and he doesn't ask our opinion about it either. If even those that we don't like, he can still make and give everlasting life to if they come to faith in him. Even if they already have faith and we just don't like them, he will still off he still gives them everlasting life because it has nothing to do with us. It is his power given to us, even in the faith that we have, so that we may hear and see and praise him for all of his good deeds. That is all for this week for Digging Deeper. I hope you have enjoyed this look at Psalms 19, 20, and 21. Next week, we are looking at Psalm 22, going back to Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, that great and painful time of our Lord's passion. We'll look at that in depth next week. 
But until then, this is Pastor Doug Minton wishing you God's richest blessings as you wrestle with theology this week. Amen.